Now, Moses, he is known as a mighty man of God, but he was a shepherd. Moses was simply a shepherd watching sheep. And he is told to go confront the most powerful man in the world. This is very interesting. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. My name is Rod Hembert. I'm Janice. And this is Bible Discovery TV, where we continue to go through the Bible in one year. This is our 32nd year in doing so. And we are going to talk about human thinking today versus godly thinking. Corey and Ryan are here. Corey? I'm taking a look at one of the industries that the Israelites in Egypt were responsible for, and that is the, the making of mud bricks. Ryan? Today, I'm profiling Aaron, the brother of Moses and Miriam, and the first high priest of Israel. All right, very good. And what are you doing? Are we like Pharaoh, or what do we believe? Hmm. All right, that's very good. So remember, get your Bible guide out and your Bible. Let's listen to what God is saying today. Exodus 4 verses 18 through 31. So Moses went and returned to Jethro, his father-in-law, and said to him, Please let me go and return to my brethren who are in Egypt and see whether they are still alive. And Jethro said to Moses, Go in peace. Now the Lord said to Moses in Midian, Go return to Egypt, for all the men who sought your life are dead. Then Moses took his wife and his sons and set them on a donkey, and he returned to the land of Egypt. And Moses took the rod of God in his hand. And the Lord said to Moses, When you go back to Egypt, see that you do all those wonders before Pharaoh which I have put in your hand. But I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. Then you shall say to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, Israel is my son, my firstborn. So I say to you, Let my son go that he may serve me. But if you refuse to let him go, indeed, I will kill your son, your firstborn. And it came to pass on the way, at the encampment, that the Lord met him and sought to kill him. Then Zipporah, took a sharp stone and cut off the foreskin of her son and cast it at Moses' feet and said, Surely you are a husband of blood to me. So he let him go. Then she said, You are a husband of blood because of the circumcision. And the Lord said to Aaron, Go into the wilderness to meet Moses. So he went and met him on the mountain of God and kissed him. So Moses told Aaron all the words of the Lord who had sent him and all the signs which he had commanded him. Then Moses and Aaron went and gathered together all the elders of the children of Israel. And Aaron spoke all the words which the Lord had spoken to Moses. Then he did the signs in the sight of the people. So the people believed and when they heard that the Lord had visited the children of Israel and that he had looked on their affliction, then they bowed their heads and worshipped. Exodus chapter 4, verses 18 through 31.
Exodus 4 to 7 is where we read today. It is a fascinating book, this book of Exodus or the coming out of Egypt. It's really interesting. You know, we talk about Moses and how he encountered God. There are three indicators of God's power that were in the path of Moses as he returned to Egypt. Now, first, there were the miracles that God showed him represented by the rod that Moses carried. And then there was the personal display of God's power, which Moses didn't seem to have recognized, but his wife Zipporah did. She knew that God had commanded Abraham to circumcise all male descendants. And it was actually Zipporah who performed the circumcision of her son, saying to Moses, Surely you are a husband of blood. Exodus 4.26 now, the third indicator was the people who responded in belief to the miracles of God. Moses was on a clear and specific mission from God, and God was preparing him for a leadership challenge ahead of him that would try him like nothing else in his life ever did. I want to say that this is an amazing story from the Old Testament. Uh, this is a really good one, and as you look at it, you're going to understand we're in four, uh, chapter 4, verse 18, because previous years we've studied the other scriptures, human thinking. Human thinking? Yeah, that's right, human thinking. Let's study this. Father, help us today in the name of Jesus Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit to understand the difference between human thinking and divine thinking, between the mind of man, or my mind, and the mind of Christ, your mind. Help us to understand exactly what it is you're trying to say to us so we can get it. Because, Lord, we don't really get it. And without the Holy Spirit, we can't. But Holy Spirit, come down, teach us your ways, and show us your paths. In the name of Jesus Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit, I ask all these things. And we said together, amen and amen. And if you don't have the Bible guide, you can write to us or go to BibleDiscoveryTV.com. And you can get yours and you can download it if you want to. Uh, once you click on the Bible guide, make a donation and just like it's printed and you're seconds away from joining us. Now, when we go to chapter four, this gets interesting because we start with verse 18. Verse 18 says, so Moses went and returned to Jethro, that's his father-in-law, and said to him, please let me go and return to my brethren who are in Egypt and see whether they are still alive. And Jethro said to Moses, go in peace. Now the Lord said to Moses in Midian, go, return to Egypt, for all the men who sought your life are dead. Then Moses took his wife and his sons and set them on a donkey. And he returned to the land of Egypt. And Moses took the rod of God in his hand. And the Lord said to Moses, when you go back to Egypt, see that you do all those wonders before Pharaoh, which I have put in your hand. But I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. And then you shall say to Pharaoh, thus says the Lord, Israel is my son, my firstborn. So I say to you, let my son go that he may serve me. But if you refuse to let him go, indeed, I will kill your son, your firstborn. Fascinating. Moses was given a specific command to speak to Pharaoh, the most powerful man in the world, on behalf of God. 
Many times we believe that our opinions are the most important, do we not? We are told over and over again on AM radio, on the internet, and everything else, it's all about our opinions. You know, all of the social media networks do this. It's what we, we want you to express yourself. And then they really, that, that's really not important. What's important is the Lord's opinion. <laughs> we, we have to get the mind of Christ. We have to be careful what we say and how we say it, beloved. That is the trick or the, not the trick, the guidance of the Christian is that we don't, we don't say things as we feel them. We say things as we've prayed them through and think about it. It becomes important. Chapter 4, verse 24, And it came to pass on the way back at the encampment that the Lord met him and sought to kill him, Moses. And then Zipporah, his wife, took a sharp stone and cut off the foreskin of her son and cast it at Moses' feet and said, Surely you are a husband of blood to me. So he let him go. And then she said, You are a husband of blood because of the circumcision. Second point, very important. God's commands are mighty. We must do all we can to get our life aligned with Jesus Christ and to serve him. We must get our lives aligned with Jesus Christ and serve him. This is what prayer is mostly about. It's about aligning our hearts with God is to get with God and say, Our Father who art in heaven, holy is your name. Your will be done and your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. That's the first thing we say to the Lord, beloved. We have to align our hearts with him. We have to understand what he's thinking. Not important what we're thinking. Now, God has a way of working with us. But if we put him first, then he will take care of us. I promise you that's the truth. That's exactly what the Bible says. And that's exactly what this story says. All right, let's go back to the scripture. Watch this, Exodus 4, 27. You'll like it, through 31. And the Lord said to Aaron, go into the wilderness to meet Moses. So he went and met him on the mountain of God. Really interesting, and kissed him. So Moses told Aaron all of the words that the Lord had sent him and all of the signs which he had commanded him and then Moses and Aaron went together, together all of the elders of the children of Israel. And Aaron spoke all of the words which the Lord had spoken to Moses. And then he did the signs in the sight of the people. So the people believed. Did you see that? Verse 31, so the people believed. And when they heard that the Lord had visited the children of Israel, and that he had looked on their affliction, then they bowed their heads and they worshiped. God had seen them. God had heard them. Now, this is the important part. The people believed the words of the Lord given through Moses and Aaron. They believed. Now, believing God and his word brings us to a life of repentance to a life of praise, and to a life of worship of him. You can't really worship God and give him the glory, because when we worship, most people think about how I feel, but hold on a minute. When we worship God, we are giving him, regardless of how we feel, we're giving him the glory he deserves. 
That's very interesting, isn't it? So we must worship God, give him what he deserves. Render unto God that which is God's, render unto Caesar that which is Caesar's. Beloved, we need to realize this. So we need to pray and say, Lord, help us to realize who you are. Help us to get our lives straight and get our minds thinking rightly through the divine influence of the Holy Spirit on how to worship you. In Jesus' name. Jesus Christ spoke to us and told us not to be afraid, not to be troubled by these times. This is the beginning of the end. This is the beginning of God's final reconciliation with the world. God is going to make things change in our lives. And this is very important. He has selected you and myself to live in this time. And I find that absolutely amazing. Well, it's time now to carry on with our Bible study. And you know, one of the people who would prove to play a really big role over the next several decades of Israel's history is Aaron. And Aaron was the older brother of Moses, and he was ordinated as Israel's very first high priest. But unlike his younger brother, Aaron grew up as a Hebrew citizen in the midst of Israel's period of slavery in Egypt. It was not a good time for Israel. But Aaron and Moses, through God, would bring the people out of Egypt and into the Promised Land. Now, with that said, today I want to view this history through the eyes of Aaron. So let's go. Though he was born in the prosperous nation of Egypt, as a Hebrew, his life would be full of toils and hardships. Indeed, Aaron was born during Israel's 400-year period of slavery in Egypt. Although his infant brother Moses got passed off as an Egyptian and grew up in the royal palace, Aaron would not be quite so privileged. Still, despite these two very different upbringings, in time the two brothers' paths would once again converge. And it would be with the same purpose of mind, to free the Hebrew people from their Egyptian captors and deliver them to their promised land. It was a plan orchestrated by God himself, who instructed the now 83-year-old Aaron to go meet his now 80-year-old brother in the wilderness. By this time, Moses had fled from Egypt after killing an Egyptian and had lived in Midian for 40 years. It had been a long wait, but the time had finally come to break the bonds of slavery off of Israel. So God commissioned Aaron and Moses to confront Pharaoh and free their people. Moses would lead the operation, but Aaron was Moses' mouthpiece. In fact, not only did Aaron address Pharaoh on behalf of Yahweh, but he also performed signs and enacted the plagues. Throughout the Exodus and wilderness wanderings, Aaron would remain in a leadership role, second only to Moses. Actually, Aaron would later be established by God as Israel's very first high priest, and his descendants would carry on in this holy service. Unfortunately, Aaron also had some moral failings. The most significant of these occurred during Moses' 40-day encounter with God on Mount Sinai, where he received the Ten Commandments. With Moses gone so long, the people feared that he and God had abandoned them. So they said to Aaron, Come, make us gods that shall go before us. For as for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. Tragically, Aaron submits to their plea and molds a golden calf, at which the people proclaim, this is your God, O Israel, that brought you out of the land of Egypt. Aaron's rebellion against Moses is another significant moral failure. Significantly, while both Aaron and their sister Miriam speak against Moses, only Miriam is struck with leprosy. 
since Aaron was the high priest, leprosy, which would make him unclean and unfit for temple service, would have been a serious penalty. Indeed, Aaron and sons all served as priests before God, though his sons Nadab and Abihu were killed by God for offering impure fire. Unfortunately, Aaron would also die prematurely. In fact, for Moses and Aaron's error at Kadesh, neither of them would be granted entry into the Promised Land. As per God's instructions, Aaron climbed Mount Hor, where Moses removed his priestly garments and put them on Eleazar, Aaron's oldest surviving son. It was upon this mount where Aaron died at the age of 123. You know, it's always tragic reading about this golden calf incident, this turning away, this resistance to the one true God. And in the New Testament, Stephen actually uses this event as a warning to the Jews. He says in Acts chapter 7, verses 51 to 53, You stiff-necked people, your hearts and ears are still uncircumcised. You are just like your ancestors. You always resist the Holy Spirit. Was there ever a prophet your ancestors did not persecute? They even killed those who predicted the coming of the righteous one, that is Jesus Christ. And now you have betrayed and murdered him, you who have received the law that was given through angels, but have not obeyed it. You know, this was quite the address by Stephen, and it even got him killed, ironically, adding yet another of God's messengers to the long list of murders. So let's take Stephen's address to heart. Let's not resist God. He says in his word that he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to save us from death, and that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and that no one comes to God the Father except through him. So the only question now is, what are you going to do with that? Will you resist the Holy Spirit? Or will you allow him to move in your life? And I think that if people are watching this program, they can sense the Lord. And if you sense him, that's the Holy Spirit of God. And, and Jesus Christ is here, let me tell you, as we study his word. Very interesting. Next time, we're going to be talking about the heart of Pharaoh, who is very much against God and against the people of God. Corey? All right. Well, we're looking at some ancient technology today and specifically how it applies to our scripture. So we're taking a look at mud bricks and the, the making of uh, mud bricks, because we're told here that one of the punishments that Pharaoh dishes out on the Israelites is that he tells them that he ha they have to make the same amount of bricks. They still have to make their brick quota, but the Egyptians are no longer going to provide the straw necessary for making the bricks. So now all of a sudden the Israelites have to source the straw themselves uh, for this mass quantity of bricks that they have. Uh, so that would have seemed an impossible task. It may have been an impossible task. So let's take a look at why straw was so important in the making of ancient mud bricks. Take a look. Mankind has always looked to the world around him to survive. Building materials are no different. Caves, rocks, trees, and mud have all been used as natural and convenient resources to build shelter for basic living, protection, and awe-inspiring feats of architecture. The most accessible building materials vary from region to region, but one of the favorites of the Near East has always been mud. By amending already existing soil, long-lasting mud bricks can be created. Historically, these have been used throughout the ancient Near East, appearing even on the pages of the Bible. Beginning in the early chapters of the book of Genesis, bake mud bricks are cited as the building material of choice for the Tower of Babel. The enslaved Israelites in Egypt were employed in brick making and farming, 
And famously, the Pharaoh of the Exodus punished the Israelite brickmakers by refusing to supply their straw while demanding the same number of bricks be made. With several other mentions of mud brick in the Bible, and the physical remains of mud brick found all over the ancient Near East, their usage was commonplace and their production essential. Though today more modern materials are generally used in building projects, there is at least one reconstruction project that required an archaeological experiment to preserve a crumbling site. At ancient Tel Rehov in the Egyptian Nile Delta area, archaeologists set about to preserve a site by creating their own mud bricks to build supporting walls. The project was carried out in 2013 and served to not only preserve the site, but also test out just how how the ancient process would have gone. Using known ancient methods and scientific analysis of existing mud bricks at the site, the ancient process was mapped out. First, topsoil was collected and mixed with water to create mud. Second, straw was added to the mud as temper and mixed in by foot. Straw chaff is what specifically would have been used, procured either from threshing floors after the harvest or collected from fields. Either way, the straw would have been chopped into small pieces before adding to the mud. It gives the bricks an underlying structure that has been proven to create stronger, longer-lasting bricks. Third, the mud mixture received a good daily mixing by foot for several days and then was left for a few days to ferment. Fourth, the mud was then pressed into molds of the desired sizes and laid out on a floor dusted with an anti-sticking agent like sand, dirt, or more chaff. After a week of drying in the sun, the bricks were ready to use. In construction, mud bricks would be held together with mortar and often the finished walls would be plastered over to create a seal of protection against the elements. Now, just like today, exact production of mud bricks could vary from region to region and their drying could even be accelerated by baking in a kiln. So, you know, history in practice like this, the fact that archaeologists needed to restore a project in order to keep it standing, in order to preserve it for generations to come, and that they had to try making these mud bricks and were successful in making these mud bricks to rebuild it, it's just so cool because it's history in practice, right? They can see, okay, here's the recipe, here's how we know it worked, uh, now let's see if we can make it work practically. And having to actually do that for a practical purpose, like restoring a site really goes a long way into knowing that you do have it right. You know how it worked because it has worked practically for you in the present day. So it's just really cool. Very interesting. Thank you, Corey. Janice? I called this, what do we believe? Are we like Pharaoh? And you know, you might've seen me earlier in a wide shot making notes here because I always love to sit here because we don't sit the four of us before we tape a program and talk about what our different segments are mm -hmm. going to be. And I love when it comes together. Ryan, thank you for talking about what you talked about and saying, what are you going to do with the information that you're given? Because yeah. that's really where I'm going with my segment today. What do we believe? Are we like Pharaoh? Moses goes to Egypt. God has sent him back. And we see this confrontation and, and God says to Moses, this is what I want you to tell Pharaoh. And, and listen to this, because some of you may have missed this. Then you shall say to Pharaoh, thus says the Lord, Israel is my son, my firstborn. So I say to you, Pharaoh, let my son go that he may serve me. But if you refuse to let him go, indeed, 
I will kill your son, your firstborn. At the very beginning of God's encounter through Moses with Pharaoh, Pharaoh knew what the ultimate outcome would be. God had said it to him. If you don't let my son Israel go, I will kill your firstborn son. And now we, as we go through the Exodus with that knowledge in mind that Pharaoh knew and with each plague that came, with everything that he was confronted with, with everything that he saw, God had already spoken what would happen if he kept refusing. It kind of changes, well, it changes my perspective. Does it change yours? And I wonder, are we the same? God, what he says is true. And we can make a decision. Will we harden our hearts like Pharaoh did and say that we know better, that we're smarter, that somehow we're different now? These people were that way, but, you know, we've grown and we've evolved into some higher intelligence. Or do we believe that God is who he says he is and that his word is true? We just finished a year of reading through the Bible and getting to Revelation. We know what God has put in place. And as you continue to join with us, we are going to see God's word demonstrated and his promises coming true. And this is something for us to consider right now. Are we like Pharaoh? Do we think that we are God, we are a God unto ourselves, and whatever I decide is whatever I decide, and it's only going to affect me. You know, Pharaoh's decision didn't just affect him. It affected every single family in Egypt, everybody that had a firstborn son, even their animals, and that affected Egypt's economy. So what Pharaoh decided didn't just affect him. The same way with you and I. What we make, the decisions that we make in our lives, it affects those around us. It affects our families. It affects our communities, our workplaces. So let's really think about that today. Do we believe that God is who he says he is? Do we believe the promises in God's word? Or are are we too smart for that? Let's consider and open up our hearts and open up our ears to what God says. Join us. It's really important uh, when we are there on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at 3.30 Eastern time for a prayer meeting on Facebook and YouTube. And we will pray for you and ask God to help you also Bible Discovery TV. Now, keep in mind that we need to pray today. Lord, I need to follow you. Help me to listen to your Holy Spirit and not my own thoughts. Help me to listen to your Holy Spirit, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.